Welcome to The Launch, the podcast sponsored by Tandem Launch, where we talk about tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. We give you the inside scoop on building a startup, capital fundraising, the entrepreneurial journey, with both funny and impactful stories. This podcast is for budding entrepreneurs, ecosystem players, industry folks, venture capitalists looking for deals, students considering a career in the startup world, or anyone with a curiosity in Deepak. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tanumlaunch.com, or hit us up on LinkedIn. Let's build the future together. And now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to a special episode of The Launch Podcast dedicated to this International Women's Day. We have a stellar lineup of women in tech who are ready to share with everyone their insights, stories, and experiences as leaders in tech. But before we do that, a little bit about us here at Tandem Launch. We create, incubate, and accelerate early-stage deep tech startups based on inventions from the world's top universities in areas such as, but not limited to, artificial intelligence, computer vision, IoT, display, computer graphics, audio technologies, and advanced sensors. We scout thousands of technologies every year from a network that spans over 600 universities worldwide. We are international in scope, producing high-impact, IP-focused companies with an unprecedented rate of success with over $500 million in value created. If you find that interesting, and you have a PhD or master's in a technical field, and you'd like to create your own startup with us, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit our website at www tanumlaunch.com. I'm your host and panel moderator, Bobby Badochka, Venture Associate for Tanum Launch. So let's hear about our esteemed panel. We have Humera Taz, CTO and co-founder of Omniply Technologies, one of the companies formed at Tanum Launch, which aims to make an impact in the flexible electronics industry. Originally from Bangladesh, she moved to the U.S. in 2009 for her undergrad studies and continued on to complete her PhD in the field of material science. Humera's graduate school program encouraged her interest in entrepreneurship and science policy as she was passionate about putting scientific knowledge to practical use, which led her to embark on an entrepreneurial path. After completing her PhD, her search for opportunities within Canada led her to Tenem Launch, where she is now exploring the tech startup world and building Omniply technologies. Next, we have Pascal Odette, CEO of Carebook Technologies. She believes in the power of people and has a principled, passionate conviction that successful, Profitable organizations are built from a people-centric foundation from the inside out. A senior executive with 20 plus years of business management and expertise in balancing strategy and operations, she has an established track record in building teams of experts committed to sustainable growth, including five years leading the explosive global expansion of the Walt Disney Company's Club Penguin. Pascal is a master of growth in new international markets and managing through change. She champions the power of humans and human engagement leading with authenticity. Within Carebook, the combination of a people-first model and scientific research is revolutionizing the way people engage with their own health and wellness. Next, we have Lali Ramatilla with a CPA, an MBA, and a BA in communications. Lali is a managing partner, intellectually property-backed, financing at BDC. She oversees and provides strategic guidance to a national team that helps companies accelerate their growth or their commercialization of their innovation. Lali is an associate 
Fellow of Creative Destruction Lab and a member of Grand Challenges Canada's Investment Committee. She previously served Canadian Women in Communications, as well as former Canada Lead for the Billion Dollar Fund for Women. Lally is a proud supporter of Canadian innovation with an experienced gendered lens investor with an eye for creating impact for women globally. And our very own Emily Boutros, Chief Financial Officer of Tandem Launch. She has over 15 years of experience holding executive positions in public and private companies. Starting her career as a chartered accountant at KPMG, she has led finance functions for technology companies such as CGI, Soft Image, and Averna Technologies. Emily then joined Tandem Launch in early 2012. Since joining the company, Tandem Launch has more than doubled each year, raising three funds and more than $150 million in third-party financing. Emily holds a bachelor's degree in mathematics from McGill University and a graduate diploma from Ashesay. In addition to her role at Tandem Launch, Emily is a member of the Canadian Institute of Chartered Accountants and is on the board of the National Angel Capital Organization. So welcome everyone. Thank you. Let's move on to the reason why we're all here, have a little discussion. So we're all aware of the fact that we lack diversity in tech and in other male-dominated industries. And we also are aware that over the last 60 years, much has changed and improved for women. We also know all too well that there are issues that remain inequity, discrimination, bias, glass ceiling, exclusion, and more. But today, how much remains systemic and how much personal responsibility or agency do we have? Emily, why don't you kick us off? Um, yes, so I do think that the, the workplace has evolved in the last uh, 10 years since actually I started at Tandem Launch. Uh, I think that the workplace today is way more adapted for mothers. So I feel that there used to be this maternity wall that everybody was talking about. I feel that people with who I work at Tandem Launch and with other companies have adapted to the flexible working hours that mothers really need if they want to have a balanced life between their professional life and their personal life. Personally, Everybody understands with who I work that between 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. I need to be with my three young kids because I have three young kids. Everybody is aware that the networking events for me are I'm not always going to be there. I can be there when it's mandatory, but most of the time I need to be uh, with my kids. I do feel that people are adapting way more and more than they used to in the past. And I do think that as women, it's part of our responsibility to sometimes put our li limits and that the world is ready to hear it. And Everybody needs to adapt. And I even have some men that I work with that have the same kind of limitations than me because they also need to spend some time with their kids. So I think that's a big improvement in terms of what I've seen at the beginning of the, my career and what I see today. I do think that there is still some bias and discrimination, especially when I work with people maybe from an older generation. One of the biggest one is I do find that there's still um, some bullying that can happen. And I feel that the women or more likely to be facing bullying than men. It's very difficult for me to define bullying, like just to be like honest with you, Bobby. My interpretation, my definition is applying pressure for somebody to make certain kind of decisions, like using intimidation or in an aggressive way. And even sometimes it's malicious. I do think that this is still something that uh, we have to work on as a society if we want to have an open environment and a safe environment for everybody to, um, to be comfortable. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not always um, overtly aggressive, right? 
right? Sometimes uh, the bullying sometimes. is a bit uh, sometimes that's how I feel. underhanded. Okay, so then next, um, Lali, let's hear from you. Okay, thanks very much, Bobby. Um, wow, that, that's a very sort of, uh, you know, it, it, I think it requires a lot of reflection. I, I've been in the industry, gosh, almost 30 years now, and I, I've, I've seen it come a long way. I think Emily's definitely correct. There's a lot of uh, progress uh, being made in supporting uh, women in technology. I, I remember, and, and sort of putting some sort of context to it, when I started my career in technology, there was no internet. And so I'd say that a lot of technological advances, a lot more um, discussions about ESG, governance, di um, diversity, and inclusion have all really led us to where we are right now. And and it's it's great. It's gratifying. I mean, when, when I started, even as far back when, when I was doing angel investments in female-led um, companies back in 2010, 2011, there's no such thing as a female-focused venture capital fund. And, and now we have a lot of them and supported by a lot of institutions and, and the government as well. Having said that, I'd say if, if I sort of can ref reflect on where the challenges remain, I'd say it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's definitely a voice club, but what I've also found is that there's not just one voice club. There are a lot of voice clubs out there. And I, I'd say it's naive to think that you're only trying to hit one glass ceiling, but there's a lot of multiple glass ceilings because I think the world has just become more competitive and, and inequality, whether whether it be in, in the case of wealth or accumulation of power and influence in business is also changing the dynamic. And so what, what this means is that I think there's a greater sense of personal responsibility that women in tech should sort of bring to themselves. I think for the most part, I think we have to be more assertive in really managing our careers and the progress uh, that we're making. Um, as an example, um, when we... Um, before I came to the BDC, I was CEO of a like a private debt fund and raising money on Bay Street was sort of a, it's like a world uh, in and of itself. But then you learn, you, you learn that it's not just because I'm a woman that I couldn't raise money. It's also because some other people couldn't raise money. And so you're not really just competing against men, you're competing against a whole range of other sort of um, individuals who are trying to do the same thing you are. And therefore that requires us to be very, differentiated to actually show people how much value we can create for them for their organizations and then that requires a lot of selling and a lot of skills and and the ability I'd say to to have a way of telling your story in the way that's on one hand authentic but on the other hand also gets gets action out of whoever you're trying to convince yeah that's a great point about the competition with globalization the internet and social media I mean it's just it's so fierce to stand out at, at the same time it's a bit democratic advertising of a double-edged sword. Uh, Humaira, uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think my perspective is more recent because probably started off in the industry much uh, later on in the timeline than uh, Emily and Lali. So I think I am seeing a lot of the benefits of the evolution that has happened in the workplace and I'm experiencing that as well. That being said, my experience has also been more so far in academia and in the tech world, in the field that I'm studying, yes, there were a lot of, uh, you know, like, uh, it was male dominated. But at the same time, I think my perspective has always been more towards what am I contributing as an individual, like looking at myself as like a individual rather than Oh, I'm a woman in a male dominated field. So I think that has helped me a lot to have my voice heard, because it has just made me want to just persist. And I just have found ways to make sure that whatever my perspective is, 
that's being considered uh, in whatever way it took for me to present it to the people I was always working with. And I guess I've been lucky in the sense that whenever I have tried to do that, I have actually not just found women, but men who also have supported me along the way. So it's been a really good experience in that sense. And definitely, you know, my experience does not speak for everyone else's. And so I'm sure that there are other people um, who have had different experiences going through the same journey that I did. But from my personal journey, I can just say that if I have always seen myself as an individual contributing to the bigger cause, adding value to the team, I have found ways to make it happen. And so it's been a good ride I would say so far and we'll see how it goes from here onwards great I mean that's great news you, you bring up a really great point about identity you know it's both a sense of belonging and at the same time it has its constraints so um, I like your point of view Pascal why don't you round us off sure I, I've started almost 30 years ago also and so I guess when I started in business I also never thought of myself and so I in in that sense I can relate Although it was a long time ago, I never saw myself as a woman in a male dominated world. I also started in a non-for-profit for the longest time. And I actually think at that time, the balance of men and women in, the, in executive roles were actually reversed. So it could have actually, in retrospect, it could maybe it has helped me not not perceive or not enter into maybe um, a victim mode or something. So I, I actually never realized or saw this as a concept at the time. I never watched what I said or did because I just had a high work ethic. I know I was very focused, maybe too focused. I don't know. I just never really realized there were different dynamics around me. Looking back, I'm sure there were, and I actually have some memories now that I can associate to, to certain bias, I'm sure. But uh, it just, I would just was not aware of it. And so in the last years, I would say I am much more aware of these dynamics. There's a lot more talks about it. There's movements and people are, are uh, more uh, aware of these things and myself too. So I just acknowledge that there are, there could be not in all cases, but it could happen. And, and in some cases, maybe that behavior or this behavior is become, a, is because of a bias. So I just, I acknowledge it. I choose my battles. I stand my ground when I feel I need to, but mostly I just, I stay focused. I stay focused on my team. I stay focused on our clients. I stay focused on our goals. I just don't let that be something that is a stopper or uh, slowing me down, I would say. Right on. You got your eye on the prize, Pascal. I do. (laughs) (laughs) So um, times are changing. Uh, Can you share any stories, personal or professional, where there was a situation in the past, maybe that you were bumping up against some of these issues, or you know someone who was, versus how you would deal with those same situations now? So, Humair, want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Personally, I think in the once I started my journey as a co-founder, I think one of the uh, main challenges I would face is not only as a woman, but also due to my cultural background, like my personal choices of what my role should be in a networking event, for example. And often I have had to struggle like, you know, what I should do personally, my choices not to shake hands with men. And that I have battled with a long time and I didn't know how to 
put it out there as my own preference. But at Tandem Launch itself, there were many other women who encouraged me that, you know, this is your choice. And if you put it nicely, people will listen to you. And no one's gonna be like, oh, just because you can't shake hands with a with the male partners, you're never gonna progress in your career. So these kind of uh, support systems, I would say have helped me build that confidence to put my preferences and choices out there. Uh, one of the other things I feel like I have learned how to handle are in a male dominated field, sometimes when you're having like a casual conversation, maybe the males don't even recognize that they're making some humorous comments or jokes that could be offensive to women. It just is off their radar, maybe. So before I used to struggle with how should I respond? Should I just laugh along because I want to be included in the workplace and in this group? Or should I, you know, like, it was just like a frozen moment. But I think I've read like a lot of articles recently on how you should deal with it. And they just say that, you know, you just uh, address that comment right there. And so I've started doing that. I just seriously ask them, like, why do you think it's funny? The what you said, could you please explain? And that, you know, puts the spotlight back on them. And then they realize that, okay, the demographics is a little different than they thought they were when they were making that comment. So my personal opinion, you know, like these are some of the situations I've learned to deal with uh, over the years. I mean, it, you kind of make it sound like easy. And but that these situations actually cause um, I think women a lot of anxiety. So bravo to you for doing that and just showing people that it's probably a lot easier than you think that it is. Maybe you're it's more more stress than than you actually need to be. You know, once you just kind of go for it, like rip the bandaid off, and then oh, okay, it wasn't yeah. so. <laughs> so Lali, what about you? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I think at this point, I'll I'll sort of um, let the audience sort of in on sort of the the story that I have um, having raised the Quantius uh, Innovation Fund, which we were managing uh, before I came to the. BDC, I'd say in Canada and, and sort of even globally, where we were um, using intellectual property as a way to help identify strengths in the company. So it's definitely a new strategy um, and something very unique. But then it is also a brand new team that I joined, which had the big, hairy, audacious goal to raise this uh, this fund. And so we were, I was, I was the CFO um, and obviously in charge of help of raising money. And so we were hitting the streets, getting nowhere because again, we, we had everything going against us. We were a new team. It was a new strategy. We, we didn't have a track record. And, and therefore, you know, raising a, a new brand new fund is probably even harder than raising money sometimes for, for a, a company or a startup that already has a product in place and a team in place. And and so what I and, and I, I just felt that obviously being out there trying to raise money in a very male dominated industry such as Bay Street was such a tough challenge. So having sort of reflected on it, like, what are the things that I we did? And I did to really overcome that. Um, one of the things that I th I I thought were, was very effective was was the fact that you really have to differentiate yourself and find one of your strengths and put it out there as a way to keep interactions with people ongoing. Because I guess raising money it's not just one pitch; it's on average seven to ten pitches, and it's it's a very long sales cycle. And so one of the things that I did was I knew I enjoyed writing and. I'm 
um, I'm good at telling stories. So I started a newsletter, which came out every month, a very consistent newsletter that talks about the journey that our team was undergoing in order to raise this fund. And so it got to a point where this newsletter was my way of getting five minutes of particular gatekeepers time to keep them engaged in what we were trying to do, sharing with them the successes that we've made along the way and clearly differentiated us in as far as them understanding that, hey, this is what IP-backed financing is and hey, there's a team that's done it or, or doing it and these are the returns that they're generating. The other thing that that newsletter allowed me to do was to actually create relationships with people. And again, this is not just men, but also women. Women, but I'd say with, with men who I normally wouldn't have anything in, in common with. So I found out that a few of them actually like Metallica. So I started using Metallica lyrics in, in my newsletter and that get them really going. Sometimes we, I, you know, like sometimes it's funny, I'd, I'd send a newsletter out and it was a catchy enough newsletter. And then I'd get emails back saying, hey, let's meet, let's catch up. So, so again, this is your, a way by which you can sort of navigate the system and get into those areas of influence of, of people who are very busy, but are making time for you every month through your newsletter. Um, and, and so for, for me, it's all about connection. It's it's being out there, being in situations or events or making yourself available to be able to to meet people when when um, when they're available. And, and it's funny, I've even had one situation before where I was at the bottom of a CEO's building. So I needed to get the meeting with the CEO. I happened to be in the lobby of this building. So I gave him a call saying, I'm in the lobby of your building like we need to talk about something very important you have five minutes and i'm going to be up there in three and then he said yeah sure go, sure go ahead and come out so it's again it's it's about creating your own opportunities and taking advantage of any opportunity that comes your way in order to establish a relationship with people and, and be in front of them 24 7 or as, as often as you can that's great advice lally and um definitely a good example of knowing your audience they like metallica then give them metallica exactly <laughs> So I was unaware for the longest time of uh, bias and behaviors around me. Uh, but I did remember, as I was saying, a few things that has happened, I would say more than 10 years ago. And uh, I will tell that story, um, which is kind of harsh, but I think it, it, it needs to be told. So I remember this one night where I had accepted uh, to attend a work-related event uh, in Los Angeles and ended up, ended up being the one asked to leave by a bunch of higher up executives uh, because one of their, one of the top executive of the company was out of control and very, very under the influence of alcohol and trying to pretty much jump on me. And so that event, I left and that event actually did not, I thought, stayed with me at all. But then a few years after I started thinking, how come I was the one who was asked to leave this, this situation? How come nobody stood up and not to protect me, but to actually position it the other way around and judge him in the situation and ask him to leave the, that, uh, that event. And so obviously there should have been a safety net there or at least a culture or tools for me to even think of reporting this situation. 
and to do something about it. And so I would say, obviously, looking back at it today, in the same situation, I am almost certain that first, I would not leave, I would stand my ground. But the reason why I feel I would be able to do that is not just because I'm more confident, maybe is also because of the people around me. I know situations like this, there would be the people around me that actually would react and would back me up and would actually push that person to realize what he's doing or just ask them to leave the situation. There would also be tools for me to report that person and do something with this situation. And so I feel we're definitely going in the right, in the right direction in that sense. But I actually was going to leave my story there. But then I realized as I was listening to you great people speak that it's more than 10 years and I still don't go to these events. And <laughs> so there's something there for me to think through because I don't really go to cocktails and I don't really hang out in evening events. And even if I'm surrounded by tons of people that I, that I know, it's just, and so either it's a, it, there's something for me to think through, or I just realized at that time that this is not how I'm going to do business. I'm going to prove that there's different ways and I don't have to be there where everybody is. I'm more of a one-on-one -on -one person anyway. I'm a bit of an introvert. And so I will, if I want to speak with somebody, I will grab the phone and ask that person for a coffee, even in COVID time. And so I, that's, that's how I will do it as opposed to actually either uh, taking a risk or just deciding that this is not worth it. So I think that's worth acknowledging over 10 years after. So that's, that's my story. Yeah, there's no <laughs> one size fits all. You know, you, we can customize our own experiences. No. Absolutely. So, Emily. Yes. Um, first of all, congratulations to all of you. Lenny, congratulations for raising the fund. It's a very difficult thing to do. <laughs> I have to talk to you about it. So, on my side, uh, without naming a particular situation, I think that I'm way more confident than I was uh, 10 years ago. I'm way more aware of all the gender bias. I'm using the right words, like discriminations, words that we didn't use like 10 years ago. I understand that um, there are still those biases out there. On my side, it's still very difficult for me to act on it. I'm probably like a lot of women in executive positions. I mean, I build my career without being a victim. I mean, I always try to see what's my side, like what, what can I work on? How can I do better next time? It's very difficult for me to report those events. I mean, I am paralyzed by anxiety. <laughs> I feel that um, I'm scared of the consequences. I feel that if I do that, nobody will want to work with me again, that they will shoot back at me. I mean, they will list also all the stuff that I haven't done that were perfectly like perfectly uh, done well I do think also that the line is very blurry I mean what's what what are those biases that are still acceptable I mean it's not illegal I mean so what are those biases that are acceptable what are the ones that we should not accept I mean those those concepts are not black and white but I do understand that if we want to make a better world for, for our kids and and for the next generation of, of women we should really have the courage um, and I'm encouraging everybody on this <laughs> on this call to act on it and to report them. I mean, I think you should at least document them and try to change things that really matter. Change the things that really matter for to have a, a better workplace for everybody. You are you are not wrong. There there is still consequences when when women speak out. I think yeah. now more than ever, you know, there's men that are sensitive to the topic and they want to be corrected, but there still is a risk and you won't always know is this guy the guy who's gonna, you know, give me a hard time about it. 
it. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely a risk there. So then um, when it comes to boardroom dynamics, we know right now, most CEOs and investors and advisors, they, they are white males right now. Um, again, this is changing, um, but until we get there, can you share any uh, examples or situations that you've experienced or witnessed that uh, we or women in tech can still kind of expect to encounter maybe advice on how to deal with that? And uh, let's start with Pascal this time. Sure. So I'm a CEO with a board of directors of five people and only one woman uh, on uh, on the board, which I'm very happy for. And uh, it does make a difference. I I have to say, um, I feel I feel supported by this individual in a particular way. And so obviously there's something there. But having said that, I I think I am privileged. I have a great board. They are highly supportive of what I do. And what I could say is pr- probably I've probably I think I'm pretty sure I can say that. I know I come more than ready and any questions they could ask, I have that backup heavy document with me to be able to justify and explain everything. Now, I just use the word justify and I hate having to justify myself. It is not about justifying. It's about providing the proper backup information so that they, as a board member, have all the information that I have when I made a certain decision. So I'm not justifying a decision. I'm providing them with the same data set that I had when I made that decision. I also try to, and it's, I know it's things that have been discussed for the longest time and it's notions like stop apologizing and things like that. I've made a decision about two years ago that I was going to only apologize when I had made something, when I had made a mistake. And I found myself pretty much, I do apologize still because I do make mistakes, but it's such, it's a hard thing to do as a, a, I I don't know if it's a woman or a man thing, but I decided as an individual, I was going to do that to try to stop apologizing all the time. And it's harder than we think, especially as French Canadians, we always apologize for anything. And so I think I've reprogrammed most of it. It's still somewhat there, but I've reprogrammed it enough that I don't feel like that's the first thing that comes to mind to apologize. So that's one of my way is I, I will acknowledge that we may have different opinions and different ways of doing, of seeing things, but I don't apologize. And so, but I also have, I think a great board. So that, that would be my experience. I mean, language does matter. Language does matter. It really does. Uh, Emily, what do you think? Well, I'm on five external boards. If I don't count NACO and, and, and Tandem Lounge, and there's only one other board where there's another woman and all the CEOs are are white male. So usually I'm the only woman. out there. Um, I am, uh, as Pascal said, extremely prepared. Like I over prepare. (laughs) I read all the slides. I know exactly what I'm going to say. I go for walks before those boards because sometimes there are delicate situations. Also, I'm I'm early stage, right? I represent early stage, like Tenem Launch is doing early stage like investments. So it creates also all kinds of other dynamics. And the thing that I'm really trying to to get better at is, is I'm really trying to stay calm, communicate the message, make sure that there is clarity and explain why I, I do feel like this. And I think that it really helps um, to to uh, get everybody else in the room understand uh, what's your point and, and why, I mean, uh, uh, you feel like this. And in all honesty, during the board meetings, I feel that everybody is very respectful. Uh, they do listen. They do understand. I mean, there's a, a lot of professionalism and I'm, I'm pretty happy about the way that it's it's going. 
But I do feel that there's a need to have more women <laughs> on those boards because uh, sometimes there are 10 people in the room and, and uh, there's all the oldest executives and all those board members. And I'm, I'm clearly the only woman in the room. <laughs> well, Emily, I think you spent half your life in the Zoom boardroom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're just starting out your yeah. career in the boardroom. Uh, what's your perspective? For me, okay, this is funny. Uh, when we were looking for a CEO, I actually was thinking the ideal CEO would be a white male because that person could represent us strongly in the boardroom. And, you know, I'm just going to be honest. And that was what I was uh, looking for mainly. And uh, during that CEO hunt, all the there were very few women candidates that we even came across. But whenever we came across those, we were super happy to talk to them. Eventually, I mean, now we have a male CEO, but my boardroom experience has only been like, you know, limited to the time before the CEO joined the company. And we were having monthly meetings with the Tenement staff. And I'm going to be honest, like I was super duper inspired by Emily because I used to say, see, like she's there in the boardroom. And I used to be like, okay, you know, Emily has a family and she is dealing with all of these other males all the time. And uh, just like Emily and Pascal mentioned, I always used to be very prepared to answer questions, uh, meaning like, you know, if I made a decision, I didn't want people to think that I just made it on a whim. So I would have backups ready to uh, reason what led me to this point. But at Tanum Launch, everyone, I think, is very progressive, uh, progressive minded and very accepting. So I never had any problems, honestly. But um, recently, I mean, this is not a boardroom experience. This was just a very recent. We were interviewing a candidate for one of the technical positions to join our company. And Pascal's comment about apologizing made me realize that that's exactly what I was doing during that interview because everyone else during that Zoom call was my male CEO, my male co-founder, the male candidate. And I think I was trying to ask something to the candidate in question and maybe, you know, I either I couldn't word it or he didn't get it the first time. I ended up apologizing, saying that, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to. And at that point, I think I was just thinking about, oh, maybe like if I can't word it, what's my CEO going to think? Is he going to think like I'm incompetent? And is that like now I don't even know if that was a result of me thinking that I'm a woman and they will think I'm incompetent or just as an individual, they'll think I'm incompetent. But I think it's a very real struggle to get over this instinct of always wanting to apologize so that you are in the you know you're in the clear that's how I think I think of it but yeah I think uh, that's pretty much from my side sorry not sorry and <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, Lali how about you yes so um, uh, I guess to this question I, I was um, uh, going to let everyone know the story of the one of the first few boards uh, that I joined so it's a large board it, it was an industry board I think there were about 30 board members. It's probably the largest board that I sat on. And in this particular board, I was woman number two. So I, I came in into a board that knew it needed to diversify. And I was one of the first uh, women. And, and over, I'd say, the, the next couple of years since I joined, we were able to get a lot more women on the board. And I remember that we had this one board meeting. By then, I think there were already four or five women on the board. And the dynamics, I could see the change in the dynamics of the conversation in as far as the, the amount of input that was or debates that we had. And, and these were all very constructive uh, conversations. 
positions. But but when you have a lot more diversity in the board, I could actually see how much the conversations uh, became more productive, um, how much they also um, became more action oriented. So it's not just what does everyone think, but it, but it was really more going towards, well, this is what we're going to be doing next. And so from this, I can definitely say that all the stats that I think are, are being shared out there, that you need to have at least three women on the board, or at least a significant amount of, um, of representation, I, I truly believe is, is very important. And I've seen, I've seen it work. And, and from this, uh, what I see too, is that we all have responsibilities, either as investors or as CEOs of companies to then um, be able to bring forward more diversity into our, our boards. And, and almost as far as if, if as entrepreneurs, we, we also have the sort of the, the saying that you're, you should always be hiring, then I think we should also be thinking of other um, board members or uh, ideally female board members that we would like to uh, to have on the board. Because I'd say that in order to make that change, to make the boards more, more diverse, then we need to let the board know that there is actually a, a big pipeline of women out there. And it's our responsibility to put forward the names and, and champion uh, women that we want to get on the board. So having said that, um, I'm on another board right now, and, and we are looking for, for new board members. So I made sure that there was at least one woman that I could put forward to the board. And, and I think from what I'm seeing, she might be one of the front runners. So, so that's great. It's uh, good to see. And I look forward to diversifying this board even more. Excellent. Yeah, we do have to be extremely intentional when we are doing our recruitment and our staffing and who we invite for speakers, all of these things you really do have to be, if, if you're not intentional, then I think the diversity just kind of slips away. So since this year's International Women's Day theme is Choose to Challenge and From Challenge Comes Change, what advice would you give to women out there who might be grappling with the issues of the day? So Lali, let's continue with you. Sure. So um, for, for me, it's all about challenging yourself to be differentiated in, in anything uh, that you do. And I think that's sort of the recurring uh, theme for in, in all my answers uh, today. And I mean, it, it is a very competitive world out there. We all need to stand out, uh, whether it be we're in sales or we're fundraising or we're trying to hire talent. It's it's all about what is the value that we provide to, to that customer, to that potential hire, that potential investor. And so I, I challenge women to really be able to articulate what that unique value you bring is. And in any interaction that you have, it's all about how can you create value for the other person across the table from you. And, and that means um, being able to provide a business case on how you're going to help them either increase their revenues or decrease their costs. Sort of as, as simple as that. Um, anything that you could do to help someone, I think is the greatest challenge out there because people do tend to have the, um, I guess, the propensity to think about what's in it for me. But really, I'm challenging you to think about what's in it for them. Brilliant. Pascal? The authentic. I, I love this. That's awesome. I think uh, for myself, my, my recurring theme, um, and it has been for a few years now, is really if I could do it all again, I think I would tell myself 
or I wish I knew that I was, I could trust my gut more than I used to. And gut is not the only thing. You have your intellect, you have your emotions, you have your expertise, your, all of this is what I call my gut. I'm not just talking about a word voice talking to you, to me in my head, and I don't know where it's coming from. It's the combination of all these things. That's what I call my gut. And so trusting that and learning to rely on it more as opposed to the external pressure, it took me a long time to realize that. And I, and I trust it. And I, the way I actually gain confidence in my gut, when I had the, what I call my gut, is really by trying it on small things. I would be in a situation work-related or not even work-related, and then somebody would tell me, this is the way to see it. Like that's, that's what happens all the time. This is how you should be seeing this. And then in my head, it tells me something else, but I go with what that person tells me. And then in the future, right after, or a week after I realize, huh, well, that was not the good call. That was not the right call. I should have followed my gut. And so I started doing this and practicing it in bigger and bigger things. And then I'm actually now at the point where I do trust it. I don't only trust it. I continue listening to the what I hear around me, but I don't discredit what comes from me. And I think that's something as a woman, particularly, that we tend to do a lot. What, like we, we do listen to what the pressure that we're that we're receiving around us, maybe in a different way than men do. And so in learning to actually acknowledge that, yes, that voice is actually the combination of all my knowledge and all my expertise, I can trust it. I think it has high value. And that's emotional intelligence, that's instincts, that's all of this combined. And I, I, I guess that's what I wish I would have known before, because it would have allowed me to make less mistake and um so i just i just continue focusing on that really that's Me, what i do. pascal i wish i knew that then now we know <laughs> so Emily, how about you surround yourself with the right people so uh, the right women and the right men i mean we will need the men to change those bias and to change the way that uh, the workplace is functional right now i think that's key uh, stand up for your beliefs and uh, continue to be authentic i mean i think those are the most important things that's it. Beautiful. Humaira? For me, I think I've always chosen to focus on what I can control and work on that rather than focus on the things that are out of my control. Like, you know, some it's, it's, a, it's a result of the environment or it's a result of the system. And uh, I feel like if I start focusing too much on that, I could get into like a victim mindset or like a damsel in distress. Oh, things are out of my control. How am I ever going to get over this? But rather, you know, if you focus on what you can do to always like you know add value to the people you're working with add value to the team that's probably like you know one thing I have tried to follow through and I would also advise other women instead of feeling powerless focus on what you can do what you can do better what you can do stronger or how you can be more assertive like touching back on like some of the things that Pascal Emily and Lali said like how would you what you what can you do to put focus on your opinions preferences and your voice rather than relying on how the environment is perceiving it and feeling helpless uh, from that perspective. So yeah, that's it. Fantastic. So as we come to the end of the podcast, uh, let's talk about a call to action. Well, let's just go around uh, quickly and let our listeners know if you're looking for investors or startups, applications, are you recruiting? So let everyone know you're looking for. So let's start with Lali. Um, sure. So we uh, obviously, I, I'm 
manage this new fund at uh, BDC Capital. It's an IP-backed financing fund. We're always looking to uh, meet with uh, very intellectual property-rich companies, and that's across all sectors, whether it be in software sec- uh, software industries, hardware industry, advanced materials, uh, you name it. It's, it's a generalist fund. It's very important for us is to meet companies that have an IP strategy and are looking for a partner to help them grow that IP strategy even more. Um, and what we bring to the table is a very customized capital solutions. So whether it be debt, whether it be equity, uh, to really help that company grow and become more competitive globally. So we've got our, uh, our website is bdc.ca forward slash IP. There's more information about their fund there. And um, there's also different ways you can get in touch with me or members of my team. Excellent. Thank you so much. So Humaira? Yeah, right now Omniply is on a very aggressive fundraising mode. We're trying to close a series A round at this point. So uh, we're looking for uh, strategic partners uh, who are willing to also invest in, uh, you know, the flexible electronics uh, world or venture capitalists or angel investors. We are like tapping into all different kinds of funding sources. So um, if you want to get touch with me, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to do it. And if you want to learn more about like what Omniply does, you could check out our website at www.omniplytechnologies.com. Great. Um, I'm going to skip over Emily because we're actually after the same thing. Don't, don't um, worry. I, got it. I got it. I got it at the end. Okay. Because Tenem Launch is looking for entrepreneurs, co-founders, executives. I mean, we're looking for investors, for board members. I mean, name it. Anybody <laughs> interested in joining a startup, either as an inventor, um, uh, as a co-founder, as an executive, or as an investor can reach out to me or Bobby and 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 uh, we will find a good fit. <laughs> Great. And finally, Pascal. Sure. Um, well, obviously, we're always recruiting. So um, all our positions are always uh, posted on carebook.com. So please feel free if you're looking for great opportunity, uh, specifically on the tech side right now at the moment. We also are, uh, we recently uh, became publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And so if you are an investor, feel free. Our code is CRBK and we'll appreciate the, the support. So that's that's it for me. Fantastic. So thank you so much to all of our panelists for taking the time to join us today and for having this important conversation. You are all an inspiration and we appreciate you sharing your stories. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So on behalf of everyone at Tenem Launch, we would like to thank our loyal listeners. We hope the launch podcasts bring you value and insights. And if they do, you can support us by subscribing to our podcast and following us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And once again, if you have a PhD or master's in a technical field and you'd like to create your own startup, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit our website, www.tenemlaunch.com. Ciao for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you had fun and gained valuable insights. Why don't you subscribe to the Launch Podcast today? You can share the podcast, tell a friend, and follow us on social media. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tanemlaunch.com and get in touch today.